0: This is cool. So, Pete, um, you know, I grew up in Sweden. My dad is Swedish. And when I moved from Sweden to L.A., everyone said, you have to go to Nordstrom. And I was like, oh, it's it's Swedish? And they were like, no, I don't think it's Swedish. And I was like, I'm pretty sure Pretty Swedish. No strum. But then I was asking Deb, no I was ullat. like, Do you speak Swedish by the way? No. Nothing? I'm ting.
1: I'm, 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 I'm fourth generation. It, by this time it is. Wow. I can say, um, I love you and my name is David and I'd like a beer. That's here. <laughs> All at once. Come well, on. Jalskere means I love you. David is uh, my name is David and Yavila Earl uh, in i like a beer. <laughs>
2: That's all I got. <laughs> I'm I'm calling you up when I go to to Sweden that You can give me, straight. You can give me the yeah. tutorial on how to get along in Sweden. <laughs> Buddy, welcome to another episode of the Nordy Pod. I'm Pete Nordstrom, president of Nordstrom and your host for this podcast. Join me as I take you on an honest, authentic journey through our company and introduce you to many of the fascinating people in my life, one episode at a time. In this episode, I'm super excited to share my conversation with fashion and beauty power couple, the founders of Westman Atelier, Gucci Westman, and David Neville. Westman has loved makeup since she was a little girl, seeing smiles on the faces of classmates as she gave makeovers on the school bus ride every morning. She pursued that passion studying cosmetics in college and later moving to Los Angeles where she became a highly sought after makeup artist for film and for fashion magazines. Working on projects with director Spike Jones and doing makeup for big name celebrities like Cameron Diaz, Drew Barrymore, Jennifer Aniston, and Gwyneth Paltrow, just to name a few. This early success earned Gucci the artistic director position with established cosmetic giants like Lancôme and Revlon, eventually launching her own beauty brand with husband David Neville, a very successful and talented fashion entrepreneur in his own right. David has garnered industry respect and multiple awards through his previous partnership running fashion brand Rag & Bone and lends his business expertise to the couple's ambitious beauty brand which offers customers 100% all natural products at the highest manufacturing standards. Gucci says creating Westman Atelier would have never worked out without the implicit trust and teamwork between her and David, a mutual respect that becomes obvious if you spend any amount of time with them. You're going to love listening to their story. So let's get into it. Here we are in uh, my fabulous office in Seattle, which also doubles as a podcast studio. (laughs) And today we have the founders of Westman Atelier. So we have Gucci Westman and David Neville here. You guys, thanks so much for being here.
1: Thanks for having
0: us. Thank you. You don't
2: get
1: snow that often in
2: Seattle. I know. We were so excited. A little
1: bit of snow (laughs) this morning is exciting.
2: My kids were excited about that. So I, I'm not sure what brings you guys to town. Were you just downstairs doing an event with our beauty team, or were we actually doing something with customers?
0: We were with the beauty team. Be- the beauty team story.
1: Yeah, beauty with the Getting beauty team, me. and uh, came here to you know meet with the um, the buying team after this, and you know we're we're a young brand, but Nordstrom's a big partner for us, and mm-hmm. so it's important to come say hi.
2: Yeah. So you know, David, you know this drill well because you and I know each other from your, your past life when you founded Rag and Bone, and and we really grew a pretty big business together then so i'm just i'm just curious starting at that point what's it like now like you're bootstrapping it again with a whole brand new proposition yeah is it feel kind of like deja vu to you
1: yeah for sure i mean i'll take us back i remember coming out to seattle to you know show your your women's apparel team our jeans you know this must have been back in 2006 And then obviously Nordstrom's was really a cornerstone of the rag and bone business, you know, between men's, women's jeans, shoes and accessories. It was unbelievable to see the explosive growth and partnership that we got out of the Nordstrom's organization and, you know, incredibly proud of the rag and bone brand and, and Equally as excited, if not more so, about you know the opportunities at Westman Atelier. It's amazing to be doing this with Gucci, and you know, it's a, there's a, we'll talk about it. But there's so many layers to the to the Westman Atelier brand. You know, the fact that we're doing it together as a hu- husband and wife team is definitely quite Yeah, I was risky. ask about that. How's that going? <laughs> it's we're going still surprisingly together. well. No, it's good. Still got our good. I think that good job. <laughs> three kids may be harder than uh, establishing and building a cosmetics company. So the fact that we're able to juggle the, both of those things is. Is It's a testament to our relationship. And, you know, we're fortunate now to be sort of past the is it going to work or not phase. You know, we we funded the brand ourselves, you know, initially. And, so and what it, year did you actually kick this thing off? So we kicked it off in 2014, but we didn't launch in the market until 2018.
0: We started formulating and conceptualizing. And, yeah, it takes a long time in the cosmetics industry and especially the way we do things with our very extensive rigid blacklist.
2: Oh, explain that to me. Rigid blacklist. What well, so
0: we we don't allow a lot, a lot of ingredients within our formulas, so that creates you know a whole other layer of complexity and added time. So we customize all of our formulas, all of our packaging. The entire you know supply chain is overseen, so we don't accept ingredients that don't have the highest. RSPO certificate which is certification that's recognized in terms of is it ethical is it you know our children sourcing something so we would never we never agree to anything that doesn't have the highest compliance.
2: so that has to do with everything from what natural ingredients to sustainability to animal testing like all all of that stuff all of
0: that stuff plus we want to be innovative and surprise and delight and be performance-driven. Well, well let's take it back products. to the
1: beginning here because— Yeah,
0: now we're dialing it up <laughs> yeah. too many See, notches. See, that's what you get with me, though, <laughs> as
2: a non-professional interviewer.
0: No, but we that's good. No, was, no, that was but, my no, fault. No, I think
1: if you, if you take it back to—Gucci's yeah, Gucci's had an unbelievable career in the makeup industry. She started in L.A. doing movies, Buffalo 66, uh, being John Malkovich— Transitioned into fashion editorial, and you know, her career really took off and celebrity um, became the creative director at Lancome, the French cosmetics company, and then had the same role at, at
0: Revlon. Revlon.
1: You like how I'm doing your bio? Yeah, right I like now. how no, it's pretty see good. My I, bio. I read your work, like, work, I Wikipedia just page, it's all in there. It's really good,
2: it's very <laughs> but, impressive. So, uh, but, Gucci, so my, why, don't you, why don't you tell your story then? Okay, um, I'll, I'll give I'll, us a little chronological. I'll give you update. a little
0: play by play. So, you know, I grew up in Sweden, my dad is Swedish. And we moved when I was 10 from California because my dad is Swedish and he wanted to raise his family there. Wait a minute,
2: you moved from the U.S. to Sweden?
0: Yeah, because Ah. he wanted us, he he had moved to the U.S. to go to college and um, he and my mom met and then he wanted to move us to Sweden to Umeå where he was going to work in arts. But I remember going there in, you know, October or something like that and it would get... Dark at 2 p.m. and light at 10 a.m. So I never saw Sounds the like light. Seattle. I, I I went to school in the dark and came home in the dark. Yeah. I was like, what is happening? But it's very cool. And I actually was appointed the makeup artist on the school bus going to school when I was younger. And because it was a long bus ride, I wasn't allowed that to must wear have been makeup really myself. It was a long bus ride. It was in the countryside in Sweden, all the way at two hours, we had to go oh, on the wow. bus. But I did everyone's makeup, and I just remember loving making them feel good about themselves, you know? After I did their makeup, and I would show them in the mirror, and they'd be like, oh, that's—you know, I love that feeling.
2: So you're a creative person from, yeah. from the go- I'm not a business get-go. person,
0: but luckily my wingman here is. <laughs> yes. But so— I then decided I wanted to pursue this, being a makeup artist. And I thought I would go to this makeup school in Paris because if I wasn't good at makeup, at least it was in French. And I studied languages, and I thought I would be either a translator or I wanted to be a professional horseback rider, like jumper. And um, then, you know, the makeup course was actually really good. So I moved to L.A., and that's when I started. You know, I, I met a clothing Stylist for Spike Jones, And I started working with him on all of his projects, commercials and videos. And then I did bring John Malkovich with him. And then I wanted to move to New York. So you got
2: into movies and...
0: And then I wanted to move to New York to try fashion.
2: So you're going to have to drop some names for me. So when you're in L.A. and you got started in this, you were doing personal styling and makeup for...
0: Well, so I worked with a lot of actresses. You know, over the years, I still work with Jennifer Aniston. I mean
2: Cameron Cameron
0: Diaz was like my number one she's our son's godmother
2: (laughs) so was that because you met her on a movie set doing her makeup or was it you were like a personal stylist type person I met
0: her on a shoot and then she would request me okay and so then I did also the movie that she was in being John Malkovich and then she just asked me to do everything with her and that's usually how it works because it's a kind of an intimate relationship makeup artist and actress and so I had a you know, a roster of girls that I've worked with for a really long time. And I combine that with, you know, fashion shows, a lot of work with Vogue magazine. I remember one month I was in Italy or France and we walked past the magazine stand and I had done eight covers in the same month of different, you know, every vogue it was like italian french u.s english japanese like all of the vogues plus w and vanity fair and harper's Bazaar.
2: so in that moment like how did that make you feel i mean i think about you just you're talking about growing up in sweden out there on a farm two hours away from your school it seems like a far cry from that to you're working with famous celebrities on movies and then all of a sudden you walk by a magazine stand and all these magazine covers have your work on there. what I, what did that feel like to you in that moment?
0: I mean, I f- it felt good, but I never really have been comfortable, like thinking, "Oh, I got this." You know, I'm gonna. I always felt like very humbled.
2: Was that because there was more you were trying to do? It wasn't like an end I game was, for you to to do that. You were like, it was in no, service of going somewhere else. No, so. no,
0: I was definitely completely blown away by seeing that, but I always pared it back because I think growing up in Sweden you're definitely not taught to sort of be proud and loud about what you do. It's more sort of kind of like you're, you're humbled. And I, I just took it in and I thought, okay, I've got to keep this up. You're only as good as your last job. I never took anything for granted and I never still do. I always get really nervous every time we launch a new product. <laughs> um, but I, I, am, I do believe that I have good intuition and I'm relentlessly stubborn.
1: <laughs> so was it always part of the plan that you want to ultimately have your own line? Yeah. Well, So, you know, right, I guess in 2014, there was quite a pivotal moment where
0: mm-hmm.
1: we had a couple of offers from some big companies to license Gucci's name and do Gucci Westman professional makeup artist. You have to talk about your name at some point, mm-hmm. too, as it relates to the brand. Yeah, I like but- <laughs> that
2: when I was looking in Wikipedia and it says is Gucci Westman part of the Gucci family? <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> no, we have some, I, some IP be good. issues yeah. around yeah, Gucci. That'd be, good. that'd be a whole other story, yeah. But we had a couple of offers to do a licensed product, makeup product, and decided to, to turn those down. You, know, you,
0: you have to. So it, I remember it vividly that night because David was still deep in rag and bone. And we were supposed to sign this deal the next day and we were sitting by the fire and... I said, do you think this is the right thing to do? And then we're looking over the, the contract and, and he's like, I don't know, you get one shot. Do you want this to be it? And I was like, no, I don't. And so, you know, we were pretty, you know, far along in negotiations and, and we, we walked away. And I remember two months later, we went skiing in Switzerland and who's at the same place, the people we walked away from the deal with. And from they, the
1: licensing deal. Yeah, they yeah. were not
0: too happy. And it was like every breakfast like <laughs> next to them, and it's like, hi. It's pretty awkward. but
1: It also felt somewhat disingenuous, I think, yeah. just to, well, I guess it's all relative to one's own experience. But certainly with, with the Rag & Bone brand, it was really the... The journey of like doing it that really sort of shapes the narrative and helps you understand the reason for being for any brand. And I think sort of sitting Process. there with Gucci and saying, you know, what this brand needs to represent you, your career, your credibility, your philosophy, mm-hmm. your taste, you know, what is that?
2: So was it at that point, let's say, why do a licensing thing? Maybe we could actually we create do it a ourselves, brand and that's yeah. what you guys started yeah. talking yeah, about? Totally.
0: And, you know, David's experience that he brought, we this would have never worked if we didn't do it together because I trust him implicitly and I think that you trust me in terms of like the expertise and... Um, I also know
1: nothing about makeup. So.
0: <laughs> and I know nothing about business.
1: Perfect. <laughs> what could it's go wrong? Win- it's
0: a winning combo. <laughs>
1: but yeah, so that was... And then, well, explain your... Well, so,
0: you know, when we decided that this is... We were going to do this... I sort of felt that there was an open space between luxury and natural, so there was an opportunity there, and I thought, hmm, there's no one doing anything here, and I wanna really focus on creating a line where I can replace some of my favorite products in my working makeup bag with products that speak to performance, speak to skincare benefits, speak to innovation, speak to all these things and also like be nice to take out of your bag. I wanted to kind of like tick all of these boxes. And also as a makeup artist over the years, I've always been known for creating this beautiful skin, you know, and actresses, they all ask me, how do you do that skin? What is that? How do you do that? It's like, it doesn't look like there's anything, but it's like the skin looks amazing. And um, that's something that I've always been asked, you know, and, interviews, journalists have always said, you know, you're known for the skin. And I, during the ideation of Westman Atelier, David and I sat in Italy with our first lab that we did our initial lineup with. Everything fell into place when it was kind of like very intuitive. It was like, I want to create a lineup, a very curated lineup of products where I can share this philosophy around the skin. So we will be the best brand, the brand that women and men, if they want, go-to for that ultimate kind of an enhanced skin, a better version of yourself. And I really wanted to create true skincare products that happen to do makeup.
2: So was creating your own brand in response to you being a makeup artist and not seeing the kind of products you wanted to either use for yourself or to use on your clients and your customers, was that part Yeah, of I it? mean, there
0: was a series of events. And I think to David's point, talking about my name, I grew up in California, and we lived on an ashram for a period of time—a Kundalini ashram.
1: We have this amazing picture of Gucci meditating, at <laughs> age that three. we used at our wedding. <laughs> it yeah. was when you were a kid, or yeah. Yeah. three years old, sitting three years old meditating. meditating. Yeah, We try and get our kids to meditate; they won't sit still. Yeah, yeah right. that wouldn't work. They're like, like, "You can you. tell
0: me when you're done." Yeah. <laughs> it's like thanks, <laughs> but um, you get given names, and mine was Guru Charan. And Gucci subsequently became a nickname of that and everybody called me Gucci, you know, and we changed it legally when I was, I think, eight years old or something. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Nothing to do with the handbag Nothing to do with the
0: handbag But it's created problems f- for IPs but, um, uh, Does it
1: really? I imagine <laughs> it would
0: well,
2: I mean, they, they can't yeah, own we, that name you Well, they, have they own them. the IP on Gucci for yeah. sure Yeah, it can't just ever be like like Gucci You couldn't call
1: your brand Gucci <laughs> no. I couldn't be Gucci
0: <laughs> Westman Atelier You, uh, you couldn't? Say, no. no, you
1: can say Westman Atelier by Gucci Westman I can say
0: by in a signature type oh, of way okay So, yeah But growing up with my parents being so focused on ingredients and what are you eating and no processed foods and I never had meat. I still have never had meat, I've never had eggs. But I, I think that I grew up that way and so it's, for me, it was always gonna be, I wanted to focus on the ingredients and how can we make them as beneficial and more for you as we possibly can. And it's been a really challenging experience, especially when we started, when the chemists were like, I mean, when we tried to do a liquid foundation to begin with, it was impossible, and they were
2: impossible. Meaning, the ingredients needed to actually
0: the ingredients you couldn't create the textures that I wanted because I want the performance, I want the innovation. Yeah, you couldn't, and and so it's really a a moment for everyone to rethink how they do things, re-educate themselves, and the formulators are really familiar with how the ingredients that they've been using for years work. And and it's a science, so it's complicated. And you know, the, the formulas have behavior. You know, so I wanted, I would not compromise on what I wanted in terms of texture and finish and performance. And so, you know, there was no way to create that liquid foundation that I wanted without silicone at the time. And I remember we were sitting there and it was taking so long, and there were so many rejections. And David finally was like, "Just, just allow fifteen percent. It's fine. Come on, please." <laughs> and I was like, "No, no." And, and she I won. I won, and I, I honestly. Well, am, but did you come
2: up with a solution that was going to work?
0: Yeah, like four years later. Yeah. Because it was impossible. We could not replace the silicones. Same with our lip suede. We couldn't replace the synthetic wax with vegetable wax for a long time because it wouldn't have the structure. So, you know, now there are more ingredients available, but there's other problems present themselves. It's kind of how, how are they sourced? There's always some like twist and the way we do things because our blacklist is so rigid that we want to know, you know, exactly where every ingredient, you know, what it is, what's the derivative. It's so time-consuming. So it can take us up to three months to get an answer from our labs, to get an answer from the supplier. So it's, like, really tough. So
1: if you, like, rewind again to the moment where Gucci kind of said, you know, she wanted her brand to be this marriage of luxury and natural, the serendipity of it is that you fast forward to where we are today, and it just so happens that the whole industry and the world has sort of moved in that direction.
2: Yeah, I was going to ask about that because you think about the whole zeitgeist of our industry – I mean, you know, the sustainable part of it, the ethical, you know, all, all the things that we've been talking about mm-hmm. are such an important element to almost every proposition from every brand in any classification or category we're talking about. And I just, I guess I'm curious from your guys' point of view, those words get thrown around really easily, mm-hmm. words like sustainability or mm-hmm. ethical, yeah. but what grounds you guys or anybody in something that has actually... Measurable and objective mm-hmm. ab- about that. You know what I mean? Because it yeah. feels like, from where we sit, people come and try to sell stuff all the time yeah. and talk about sustainability or yeah. ethical yeah. truth. But how how are we to know if that's yeah. all true?
0: Yeah, uh, you yeah. you say it really well all the time. It's mindset. I think that the brand takes the approach the brand takes, you know, and and the lengths that they go to, you know, to do these things that they're um, allegedly saying that they're doing.
1: I also think within the makeup category. You know, there's a few different ways of looking at it. There's the materialization of the packaging itself. And the, obviously the the answer to that is to create refillable products, which is something that you right. know we are actively doing. Most of the products we've launched this year have been refillable. And then within the formulation itself, so within the juice, the goop, you know, there's this sort of, it's, it's less of a stainous, sustainability issue, although it is from a sourcing perspective in terms of where those ingredients are being sourced, how they're being sourced, how ethically they're being sourced. But there's also this sort of wellness component of are, are the ingredients themselves good for you so and how do you get
2: that message out there I mean I'm looking you're just holding
0: yeah
1: something like I mean you're, there's not enough space there to
2: write down all this stuff so it, no, you you have
0: to, it's like with is it amazing, all going to the website
2: where you're telling your story on the
0: website and it's also like you know working with beauty teams and making sure that they are educated properly from our perspective from our you know that we do a good job sharing our message but I was gonna sh- I, w- I took this out because you know, just to tell you how far we go. So, there's a packaging show in Monaco every year called Lux And we met with our supplier who who created this toddle, which is customized. And we I'm s-
2: sorry, what, is, what do you call
0: that? It's called a call to toddle.
2: And it's so it's. I'm looking at this thing. So this is just... What do we got in here anyway? It's that's just a our container, com- that's a small our, container for... That's
0: our complexion drops. So that's our new... And our, one of our newest what, lunch. this like
2: two ounces of something? One ounce of something? It's
0: all gold. Ml. It's like gold, liquid gold. <laughs> it's
2: liquid gold. There you go.
0: So I just wanted to show you this and tell you about this because I, I sat down with our head of packaging and the, the supplier, the manufacturer for this toddle. And I said, do you really not have another material we can use besides plastic? I don't want to use plastic for this. And he said, well, you know, we have a material called Brascom, but it's very tricky. It's more expensive and it's finicky with formulas. So I wouldn't suggest that. I was like, what is it? And he said, "It's Brascom is the waste of sugar cane, and, you know, it, it's going to be interesting. My point being that we're always trying to find a better way to do things. So this is Brascom. This is made from Brascom. I I, I took the leap. I was like, let's do it 100%. And then, you know, we have this collaboration with this um Th- this we make these bags with a company called Metier of London, and our newest bag that we just did is made from recycled straw and apple leather.
2: Apple leather,
0: but it's super luxurious.
2: So, my mind has a hard time getting itself around this idea that first of all, you're entering into the beauty business, which I, from where I sit, seems like the single most difficult place to break in because you've got these giant companies with all this money. yeah, I can't imagine being able to get into that business and break through in some way. But then you layer on the added complexity of doing things that no one else has really ever done before in terms of the, the natural components, the ingredients and all that's so how it's made. And it seems so ambitious. So David, since you, <laughs> you're presented as the business person here, I mean, how did you think, okay, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Let's go do this. Because, yeah. I mean, compare that to however many years ago when you guys were talking about starting Rag & Bone, let's make some jeans or something. Yeah, that's totally. That seems like an easier lift than this.
0: Fewer markdowns here.
1: Well, <laughs> that's true. He likes yeah. that. That is true. Um, I think it's a great question. I think, first and foremost, I can honestly say that we didn't do it as a commercial exercise from day one. And that's an honest thing to say. It was, it was more about... Can we really create something that really represented Gucci and her taste, her philosophy and sort of crystallize that into a brand and to be absolutely focused on the product itself and creating something beautiful that we could be proud of? It wasn't like, let's try and just blow this thing up. It's let's build a product and a brand that is differentiated and beautiful and that we can one day show our grandkids and say, we've, you know, that we did this. And I honestly think that everything that Gucci's just said in terms of her philosophy around formulations, around sustainability, all encapsulated into the products that we were building has given us a competitive advantage now because now we're at the stakes are higher. Now we have a bigger organization. We have passed the kind of is it going to work or not phase but i think to answer your question it was really the focus on product and then the proposition you know it was the fact that we had these pillars of you know cleanly formulated products incredibly beautiful luxurious custom designed packaging and gucci as the founder creator you know that sort of trifecta was really not in the marketplace and then then you start to think well actually you know, it's incredibly competitive, it's incredibly saturated. Now you flip it on its head and we're actually, we've created this white space where it, within the luxury segment of cosmetics brands, there are very few that are focused on what Westman Atelier is focused on. And what Westman Atelier is focused on is exactly what the customer is looking for. So now you actually flip it on its head and say, well, the big guys, can't really. So they're piff. chasing you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I. I just. I'm
2: super impressed by that. I mean, yeah. a big part of the theme of the stuff we talk about is the entrepreneurial spirit it takes to create this stuff. Yeah. I mean, both you guys have been involved in creating something out of nothing, and it's super impressive, and particularly the degree to which you've, you've had all the success. So. Okay. So you got this thing going. I would imagine there's just a ton of costs that come with this because the the product development part of it's got to be expensive, particularly you're you're creating things that have never really been done before. Like, so did you you have to go through rounds of funding to to get capital to do this? Or like, how did you guys actually get to that tipping point where, okay, we have a business now?
1: Yeah. I mean, we, we were fortunate to fund it ourselves for the, you know, until we'd been in the market for a few years. So it put us in a Position of strength to go out and raise some capital, which we've done, and with a very select group who have been tr- terrific partners. I mean, if you, you want to get like technical here in terms of like beauty versus apparel, you know the challenge to the apparel business is that the amount of product and the amount of deliveries, and then the impending markdown cycle based on the shelf life of, of right. what you're you're putting on the on the racks. So your de- product development team is continually. Producing collections of clothes that live for twelve weeks and then go on sale, on the, in the beauty business, the product development cycle is is much longer and much more capital intensive. But you're actually building SKUs that or products that will live at full price for as long as they're successful. So that was sort of a, quite a big learning for us. And mm-hmm. and in terms of your question. You know all of the investment up front in terms of custom tooled packaging, all of the investment mm-hmm. in time and money in terms mm-hmm. of custom formulas mm-hmm. does go ultimately into a product you know there's no real seasonality per se. you're not like shipping fall in fall or mm-hmm. spring in spring, and so those are some of the sort of differences. but at the end of the day brand building from my perspective is the same regardless of the industry or category of goods that you're offering at the end of the day you're what i find so exciting about the brand building process is that every day every single thing you do is like brick by brick building this goodwill and equity in your company and you know i've seen that with rag and bone go from you know zero to 500 people and you know global wholesale business and 40 of our own direct stores in north america to then go back to zero and do it gucci but then you know in a different category in a different way be building the same kind of energy in our organization that everybody is engaged with and mm-hmm. excited about Passionate. what we're doing and and ultimately it's the the people because then you go from that phase of like it is it going to work like what's the concept to kind of it's a snowball then, then suddenly you're attracting all these different caliber of people to come in and help you with your digital business or your supply chain or your, you know, the, then then it, the, the paradigm changes.
2: Yeah, so I remember when you guys got started there because, I mean, obviously we were connected through the brag yeah. and bone thing, which yeah. was a big business yeah. and there was a lot going on. And when you said, okay, I'm gonna be leaving that and I'm doing this, I'm like what? Mm-hmm. And then you were all excited about it, which got me intrigued. Mm-hmm. Then I saw the West name out there. And it's like, Oh, it's available in some places. And then I think you were in Barney's originally. Yeah. I'm like, my God, we got to get this stuff for Nordstrom. So the, the beauty people were coming to me like, well, you know this guy, can you get them to sell us? I said, well, I'm sure I can. And it turns out I couldn't. Um, so that's what the podcast we were, is going to be about. But we anyway, if you remember yet. what happened, yeah. Yeah. my niece who worked for you guys at Rag and Bone, I said, can you try <laughs> to get David to sell Nordstrom? And so I yeah. don't know exactly what happened there, but I think she, yeah. she kind of worked her angle. But anyway, I'm just... I'm grateful that you're doing business with us now, yeah. but it, you know, you, you had to make some tough choices early days. Like how are we going to scale this thing? Yeah. And as, and as much as we had a relationship and we do a big beauty yeah. business and stuff, you chose a different path, maybe a, a more gradual one. Can you talk about that a little bit? It's like, totally how, you, yeah. what your plan
1: was of how to scale that business? Yeah. I mean, to take that back, the first people that ever saw Western West West Atelier were Nordstrom. So, the first so people we saw you it, you saw it first. Did we turn it down? No. Because then, <laughs> <laughs> no, you saw it first, but Shame then, on then us. we but, were, we've been so thoughtful about this process. And I think, you know, that's been a big part of getting to where we've gotten to. But It it was very apparent to us that we were not ready to do business with Nordstrom.
2: Just to be able to ship on time. Yeah,
1: like field, in-store, you know, the time you didn't have a New York City store. It was sort of a couple of years out. And, you know, God bless Barney's, but Barney's did that kind of niche luxury discovery you know, their beauty floors didn't have the same dynamic in terms of, you know, staffing. and, um, well, and All
2: those build-outs and yeah, everything, right? Yeah. yeah. It's it of like you put yeah. it on
1: the counter and off you go. Right. And it just, it was something where we said to the Nordstrom to your team, you know, we we just don't think we're ready. Like we we had less than ten employees, you know. But we always
0: wanted to. We knew we were gonna. You're
1: just trying to make me feel better. now. no, no that's that's intended to come this back. is the <laughs> truth. But no, no the we truth. always
0: had the intention of when we were ready. We, that, of course, yeah. so it was like. But I
2: mean, it's such a part of our business. It, you know, you you've been on both sides yes. of this. It's we're trying to keep our ear to the ground and see what's yeah. going on and mm-hmm. and occasionally it comes up to me it's like God Pete do you know do you, do you think you can help us get yeah. this like I don't know maybe but it was interesting yeah. that there was an organic and a compelling kind of call to action around this brand that should make you guys feel good that they were yeah. coming like we got to figure out how to get this so if we want to be a credible place that's you know on the on the leading edge of having the best the world has to offer mm-hmm. we need to get
1: this brand in here and like oh Okay, we're <laughs> gonna get it. So finally, we got uh-huh. it. That's good. Well, it's incredible, also, for us to yeah. walk into the downtown Seattle store today and and like walk it through the entrance, to see where our products are sitting next to Chanel and Tom Ford and Big number La Mer. two in beauty. <laughs> um, but it's pretty remarkable to just be in within that company of that within that assortment too. Mm-hmm. You know, right. that's obviously very sort of inspiring. So how?
2: I mean, without telling us exactly, because I'm sure you guys are like, how how big is the business now? And is it, do you feel like it's an early chapter in this book? Or, I mean, I'm I'm curious what you envision for like the ultimate definition of yeah. success for this brand I, I mean, mean we've, we've, and where you are in yeah. that journey. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, I think we're still, you know, I usually like to use a baseball analogy, but I'm not sure which inning we're in, but maybe we're in like the... <laughs> the, the, the,
2: Brit, in the using bottom a baseball of the, <laughs> I analogy. Know.
1: I like it. Bottom of the second. I, I think... Um, we're a young company, but you know, we're seventy five people. We were fortunate going into COVID that we were predominantly digital. So we really grew up as a digitally native brand. We put a lot of investment and effort into digital assets, product pages on websites, our packaging photographs so beautifully. It really is engaging on different social platforms and you know, we were very fortunate that we then saw the business accelerate through COVID. We didn't have much liability to brick and mortar retail. We hadn't opened 20 Nordstrom from Doors like we're in now that, you know, we had. Is that how many you're in now? We're in, we're in now. Yeah. And coming out of COVID, you know, we've really started to push the gas on brick and mortar. And But in beauty, it's also a different proposition because, you need more people in the field, mm-hmm. or your right. staff at the counter, and so the economics of it become a little bit different to kind of hanging clothes on a rack within a you know multi-vendor department. And do you so, have a
2: worldwide business now?
1: Um, we have a not
0: world, no, but
1: we're in uh, Europe. We've done nothing in Asia very intentionally. We just kind of didn't want to go there again. Mm-hmm. And just just didn't want to spread ourselves too thin you know the majority is north american canada but we do have a a london office we have a entity in the uk and um are doing very nicely in the uk and scandinavia sweden we do really well and
0: sweden we crush it uh, (laughs) we're doing really well in in paris Paris, yeah
1: i mean i think it's important to be in some of these iconic Mm -hmm. stores in paris london stockholm and we're both european at heart so it's uh i think important for our you know, to, to also show that the brand travels. Have
2: you found, like, the concepts that are really germane and, I guess, organic to your brand, they have that kind of appeal across the world? This isn't just about a North American customer when you're talking about natural beauty and yeah. sustainable products. Is that is that a global
0: I think so. selling feature? I think so. 100%, I, yeah. You know, it's interesting. Now, when we travel, more and more women come up to me and just say, oh, my God, I love your brand. It's really... We hear the sweetest stories just saying that I I don't really like makeup, but your makeup, I'm obsessed with everything. It makes me feel so much more confident. It's changed my life, like honestly. And we hear it often. And there's an approachability and there's a mindset that we share these, these kind of like interests where you care about what you put in on your body. And you also want it to feel like a kind of a nice, luxurious experience. Like it should still feel special and like a good thing. You know, like it's empowering and confidence boosting.
1: I think Gucci's like such an X factor here in terms of you'd think about the brands and their founders in this day and age where the consumer is so savvy and so educated to how they're consuming information, but what types of information they want. So, you know, think about legacy brands that no longer have their Gucci, right? So then having a founder that speaks with so much authority and enthusiasm and passion about what they're doing and why they're doing it, it puts smaller, younger, niche, authentic founder-led brands, I believe in a very competitive situation because as much as I admired. Dior or Chanel there's no one at those brands saying this is why this is better than this or this is why I do this and I do think that it gives and I'm obviously biased because Gucci's my wife but you know she really is is the difference maker here in terms of like why she does it the way she does it how she talks about it how she educates on the products and you know you can tell that our community is so engaged by what she has to say I would imagine This is the kind of stuff that, you
2: know, keeps you folks on the right track. Do you get a lot of this kind of really authentic feedback from customers about why they love your product?
0: Yeah, we do. We get a lot of that. And it's it's kind of it's so sweet. Like I was recently in London and there was um, a woman who came up to me and she was with her husband and she was like shaking and she's like, my God, I, I was afraid to come up to you. I was like, Did what? she
2: recognize you? Yeah. Like Does this happen? Do you get recognized now? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. All
0: right. But it was so sweet. <laughs> she was like shaking and her husband's like, God. But it was so lovely because, you know, she was like, I just, you know, I have all your products and they've changed my life. I just feel so much more confident. And if we can be a part of any sort of way to empower how people feel about themselves, that means so much to us. You know, like if we can make people feel more confident, you know, there's so m- much influence from social media and things like that with, especially we have, you know, two young daughters, one's 13 and she's, you know, all this social media stuff is being thrown at her, like how she should look. And, you know, I, I just feel like there's, it's so tricky for them to navigate. And if, if we can be a part of, you know, any kind of like, conversation where we're able to help empower girls and make them feel better about themselves for just enhancing themselves a bit as opposed to transforming themselves you know then that's uh, a win for us
2: i I have a 12 year old daughter at home so i'm familiar with this program oh yes she's just recently gotten into all that stuff so
0: it's interesting because our our 13 year old now she's gotten better because her friends are asking her for our makeup. Ah. But before she was like asking us, you know, she's like, oh, last year she's like, can I have the James Charles palette for Christmas? I'm like, no. <laughs> 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 no, what's wrong with you? <laughs> but now she's like, oh my God, mommy, your mascara is to dive. She's like, well, that's Why? a good compliment. I know. And all my friends want, the blush and all my friends want the bronzer and it's cute because it's genuine and it's kind of like you know what happens with our brand which i think is really cool the feedback we've gotten also from some of our retail partners is that our customer doesn't come and buy one or two products. They, they buy five or six. It's really a lifestyle brand.
2: You know, that was something I, I learned about from the lottery company when we were talking about all these different celebrity brands that are out there. And they said, Yeah, they, and I think they were talking about related to fragrances in particular. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, there's all this buzz and stuff happens. He goes, But the way you know if it's working this business, do they come back and buy it again? So he says, mm-hmm. You see some of those things, they come out at their launch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like crazy. And they have an amazing year. And then it goes to like, Zero, yeah. because yeah. no one buys it again. Yeah. Has mm-hmm. that been part of the ethos of how you guys have built oh, this? Is like, a, how do we get fiercely people to be loyal? Be loyal? They're yeah.
0: fiercely loyal. They start off, maybe they'll buy... A few products, so they definitely come back, and I think it is. I mean, I really intended on this being a complexion system when we we launched. I wanted it to be, you know, a place where I could share this philosophy around this kind of skin and the products you need to create that skin, and then building upon that. We don't even have a full line yet. You know, we don't have a standalone lipstick. We don't have several things we don't have a liquid eyeliner you know there's multiple things we don't have yet but yet we still are able to compete with the big brands you know which is so cool and we're formulating in this really restricted way you know not being able to use all of these ingredients that make it so much easier um so i I feel like we're you know it's it's an exciting time and there's
1: i just didn't realize i'd spend all this sitting around talking about makeup <laughs> so often
2: <laughs> this is uh, this is more talk about makeup than I typically
1: do in my life so too but- see well, I our, mean- our company is also <laughs> like 70 70- Females and four guys. Well, we at least we have four guys, guys now. Five guys. guys.
0: There was a period of time when David was the only guy.
1: <laughs> yeah, we have a few more now. We, we need a bit
2: more
0: dudes. So are you
2: hiring? Is are we gonna get that message out here on <laughs> <in> the podcast? <gasps> we
1: maybe are we not. Hiring? But you know, we sh-
0: we share so many values with Nordstrom. It feels so special to be here today. Oh, that's nice! Thank it you. It really, but it's so true. You know, like the customer experience and just being a family kind of led company and it's, it's really special. And David has spoken so fondly about the family for years, you know, and I remember when you flew out and you had dinner with yeah. at, at
1: Alex's, family, Alex's yeah. family's yeah. house. Yeah. And yeah. I remember yeah. you
0: talked about the wine being really good.
2: Did
0: I yeah. <laughs> do they serve
2: good wine? That's good. I don't I remember. That. I do remember that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Cause you, you said, Oh, you had this amazing wine and you wanted yeah. to, to look at what the wine oh, was. But, good. but I just think that it's really special. I need and, and I do think that customers are real really maybe more likely to you know invest in brands that are more rooted in craftsmanship and heritage and doing something good.
2: So tell me like what's next for you guys? I mean, how do you view this opportunity in terms of what that brand is and and what its reach could be in terms of whether you're adding more to it or, you know, as you mentioned, maybe selling other parts of the world. Like, Mm -hmm. what are you aspiring to accomplish here in the next couple of years?
1: I mean, we, we did some work recently just in terms of internally speaking around what our mission and goals are. And one of the things that we really liked was this idea of raising the standards of what beauty can be. You know, it's just as an internal sort of, dialogue but not just as it relates to sustainability or clean formulas and ingredients that are better for you but also for every aspect of the organization in terms of like how can you do a better job Mm -hmm. you know how can we be better at working with Nordstrom or how can we do a better job on our own econ platform or you know basically to sort of challenge everyone in the company to You know, to always sort of push the boundary on, like, you know, what is our standard and how can we make that better? And so, you know, we've not been in any rush. This has not been a sort of race. And we talked a little bit about the product development cycle. It is quite painful because sometimes you just want, like, more, more, more. And you want more products. You want more space, so I think that you know we have to stay patient in terms of keeping the filter, keeping the integrity of, mm-hmm. of everything that we do, the, the standard, the quality. Mm-hmm. I think ultimately at the moment, the, the customer is telling us that we're doing a good job because they vote with their wallet. <laughs> um, and I personally feel like you know we need to, to continue to do what we're doing well, um, which mm-hmm. is be very kind of edited in, and thoughtful in the way that we introduce new products very thoughtful in terms of the way that we build out our distribution, continue to really focus on engaging our customer through our own channels and through our retailers. I think that, you know, Mickey Drexler used to say, 99.9% of the world has not heard of your brand, and that's absolutely the case. (laughs) Um, Just think of all the opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) All the room for growth. I think we're also at a place where, You know, how do we challenge more the way of actually sort of advertising in the more traditional sense of it? Like, how do we think creatively without massive budgets about how can we introduce more people to our brand? Because Mm -hmm. so far we're being told that when people discover the brand, they like it. So, Mm -hmm. you know, clearly we're not going to be buying the, you know, the inside cover of Vogue anytime soon. But what other kind of creative marketing or ways of advertising Mm Can we use to introduce more people to the brand? Well, I think Mm -hmm. it's a great sign that
2: people discover your brand for all the authentic reasons you'd want them to, Mm -hmm. because they've heard it from somebody else. The product's great. Mm -hmm. Maybe they've read about it, friend, what have you. But, I mean, that's the sign of enduring success, right? Not that you had the the most glitzy marketing campaign, but your product's great. Yeah. And people like it.
0: I mean, Diane von Furstenberg told you years ago that a slow burn is a good burn. You don't want to just like blow up and, mm-hmm. you know, and I think I think about that, yeah. you know, all the time because we do sometimes get frustrated with how long things take and and I she know that. She also
1: told me that New York summers were good because all the wives were out of town. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Is that right? All, <laughs> that's that's also, an episode
2: for another day. Maybe we'll get she, Diane here. We'll, she we'll also to told me she was an oracle. <laughs> yeah, she's amazing. She's really, I'm, I'm a fan. She, yeah. Me
0: too. I love her. But um, yeah, we are always trying to do things in our own way mm-hmm. and listen to sort of like, what can we do better? And I think also, you know, there's other brands that are going to come up quicker now that are in the in the same mindset. So we have to really be on our toes. Right. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot to do.
2: Well look at I, I wish you guys a ton of success. I'm I'm super happy you agreed to be on the podcast today and, and spent some time with me. I'm, and I just want to let you also know that I'm really proud to carry your brand. Oh, thank I mean you, this Pete. is the kind of stuff that you know sets us apart I think from a lot of people we compete with. It's not that we have things exclusively but we're trying to have the best things the world has to offer that might not be ubiquitously distributed. And you guys would, would fit into that. And it just, it ends so it lends so much credibility to everything we're doing. You get the halo effect of, Smaller and exciting brands like Mm -hmm. yours that just have all this credibility. So thank you so much for entrusting Nordstrom to uh, be a business partner. Thanks for having us. Thank
0: you so much for having us here today, and we feel really honored to be on Pete's podcast. And I really want to go and do some shopping. Yeah,
2: no limit today. We we can handle that for you. Well, that's the show. We're really glad you're with us on this journey and we hope you keep listening. The easiest way to do that is to subscribe to the Nordy pod, wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please take a minute to give us a like a share and review. So other people can find this thing too. For more information about the show, head to Nordstrom.com slash where you can listen to episodes, see upcoming guests and learn about how to get involved. We really want to hear about your experience with Nordstrom, so if you have a story about how you receive great service or even bad service, send us an email to nordypodcast@nordstrom.com. at Nordstrom.com. You can also give us a call and leave a voicemail, and you just might hear your voice on a future episode of the show. That number is 206-594-0526. So don't be shy, drop us a line and be part of the Nordy Pod. And make sure to join us next time when I have a fascinating conversation with a person that is largely considered the godfather of luxury and designer fashion business, Domenico De Sole. I met under very
1: unique set of circumstances at some point, a member of the Gucci family. I became the lawyer of Adolfo Gucci. There was a lot of excitement because the family was fighting over the ownership of the company and how to up the shares. Then Aldo Gucci, one of the members of the family, the real genius that created this immense company with a great name,
2: uh, went to jail for tax fraud. They called me up and said, Are you Italian? I said, okay. And I became uh, the CEO of Gucci America. I had no idea about running a company but I said well I'll see what I can do about it and I did a pretty decent job. The company started doing quite well and I learned the greatest lesson in life that is much better to be lucky than be smart. In this conversation, we talk about Domenico's personal journey that led him through the fashion industry, starting with being an attorney who ends up working at Gucci. And if you've seen the movie, The House of Gucci, you know how that all played out. He was right there in the middle of all that. He ends up going on to partner with Tom Ford and run that business for years with a lot of success. He's a super interesting guy that really understands the designer and luxury business, and it's a big part of what we do, so it's fun to have a conversation with him. So join us next time on The Naughty Pod.